Hello and welcome to series two of the Learning and Development Challenges podcast. Adam here once again as your guide. In this series, we're looking at how to better engage frontline or deskless workers with learning. And today we're talking with Becky West, head of learning and development at Anne Summers. Becky started her career as a teacher and moved into the leisure and tourism industry as a frontline manager. Becky found her niche in the world of learning and development nearly 10 years ago. She's worked in senior L&D roles for Merlin Entertainment, Entain, and most recently heads up the learning and development function for iconic retailer Anne Summers. She brings to the table experience in coaching, inspiring and developing both frontline teams and senior leaders with real passion for creating commercial returns from learning. Becky, it is a pleasure to be speaking with you today. Welcome. It's lovely to be here, Adam. Thanks for having me. No worries. Cool. So let's let's dive into the first question. I'm very excited. I think your particular areas of experience are super, super relevant to what we're trying to uncover in this series. But Let's start with a bit of context. So tell us a little bit about your role at Anne Summers, what you're responsible for. Yeah, absolutely. So I have been at Anne Summers for two and a half years. And as you rightly said in the intro, I head up the learning and development function there. Responsible for a really wide remit, everything from talent mapping and succession planning of all of our teams, whether that's head office, our logistics teams, our retail colleagues, all the way through to making sure that the product training that our frontline teams receive is fantastic, brilliant, engaging to enable them to sell and give great customer service to anyone who comes into one of our Anne Summer stores. Great. So you the you cover the full breadth of, of, of learning and development then, oh. back office, yeah. Everything and anything, leadership training, leadership. Um, yeah, coaching, onboarding, onboarding yep. So yeah. my team's responsible for onboarding as well. Yeah, we do everything. It's great. Brilliant. Cool. Broad remit. So let's dive straight into the, you know, what we want to talk about today, which is really the deskless or the, the frontline staff in particular. So what's your current approach? Talk us through some of the, I guess, some of the programs or some of the things that you do with those groups in terms of helping them develop. Yeah. So we've got over 85 and summer stores, which geographically are in very different locations from Aberdeen all the way down to Plymouth. So making sure that we have Digital learning at the point of need is really critical. So whether that is onboarding, they have everything they need both online and offline. And I'll talk about that a bit later about how we make sure they have that great blended approach, but also things like internal progression. So we want to grow talent from within our teams, the best way to retain talent. So they, they feel that they can come to Anne Summers and have a career with us. So things like internal progression is hosted digitally as well. So they can access webinars and learning in order to progress up to the next level. But then they have to do things in store as well to demonstrate that learning and then evidence it as well through a presentation at the end of their progression journey. And as well as that, we have all of our product training is all hosted on our learning platform. So whenever we do new launches, we have shiny, great videos that we film with our marketing and our buying and merchandising teams to make sure our retail colleagues know the why behind this is why we're introducing this product into our stores and this is how you sell it and this is how you can understand what it is which gives them that base knowledge in order to make sure that they know exactly what they're talking about to our customers and then things like health and safety compliance training that has to be hosted digitally as well but we also do stuff in store that they understand things like floor walks and knowing where their fire exits are, all the way th- through to things like DE&I training, well-being training. We do something called develop yourself workshops. So once a month, they can sign up to the topic of the month webinar 
and they can join it online and it could be something on resilience or I did one recently on building your own confidence levels. In our For our deskless staff, it's 96% identify as female. So for a lot of them, the topic of imposter syndrome or building their own confidence, that comes up as a development need that they say about themselves. And it's all about kind of getting to the bottom of that and understanding why they feel that way. So yeah, really wide variety of stuff. Yeah. Is it you and your team running those sessions typically? Or are you bringing in outside people? Running? All done by my team. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Mm. It leads me really nicely onto the next question we have, which is like, what's the split between digital and in person? Because I imagine you have physical locations there and physical products. There is amount of in-person training that is required. So how do you think about that digital in-person split? Yeah. So it's probably about 50-50 and it's probably a case of uh, onboarding is a good example for this, actually, because we want to make sure that their onboarding journey is consistent, whether you start working with us in our Belfast store or in Leamington Spa. So you join, there's an onboarding pathway that they have on the learning platform that has all their compliance stuff, all their health and safety training, things that they need to know in order to be safe in their roles. But also it's got what they should be learning on their shifts. So it'll say things like shift one, this is what your manager will go through with you. And then the manager has a separate, almost like training checklist that they can go through that they should be doing in person. So it's stuff like, have you showed them all the products and have you told them where they can find all the product training and gone through some examples with them? So it's that bringing it to life, but making it consistent. So they all get the same experience, no matter what store they're in. That's interesting. I hadn't heard of that before. The kind of, you almost got, yeah, belt and braces there. So the, you're sort of walking them through digitally what they're going to get in person as well so that there's accountability on all sides and nobody could drop the ball there that's, that's exactly what it is and then because we launched this quite recently we launched our new onboarding process because we found when we were going into stores just to understand the onboarding process because before i joined two and a half years ago there wasn't an lnd team so i've had to kind of build this all up from scratch and we were going into stores and speaking to our colleagues and the experience from one store to another was so different. We're like, this doesn't feel right. It feels like they should have the same journey wherever they are, you know, for brand consistency as well. So our customers get the same experience whatever store they go to. And it really does help because in the follow-up now, since we've launched it, we've been going into stores and asking our colleagues about their experience. So making sure that they've had that great experience. And we've been asking doing feedback forms afterwards, almost not to check up, but to make sure they are that level of consistency has landed and what we're doing is the right thing. And that it's being effective, you know, oh, that, 100%. That, it's, that it's working. Because I, I guess without that templated, structured approach, you're very much beholden to the store managers, the staff in there, how good are they doing the onboarding, how deep is their product knowledge, whereas actually you're taking all that mental load away from them by pulling it off and, and putting it digitally almost to make that entire process a lot more slick, seamless, but also to, you know, help reduce the cognitive load of the people having to then in the store deliver the training because they've got a thousand other things on as well, I imagine. 100%. And that's always the thing, trying to balance it with actually running a store and operating that on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, if someone has a great onboarding journey, they're much more likely to stay with you for two or more years. And that's, you know, one of our measures of success around relaunching this was retention. We wanted to keep good people and the right people with us for longer. And yeah, so that, that was a really key driver for us. 
Cool. So has that worked so far? Can I ask? Well, is, it, we, is it moving in the right direction? <laughs> it's moving in the right direction. Yeah. I mean, we're still on the journey. We only launched it beginning of this year, actually. So we haven't got all the stats that we want yet because we want to see over the course of 12 months. There's also loads of like, unfortunately, with retail, there's just so many other factors that influence those kind of decisions aren't there. So it's, yeah, it's really yeah. tough to kind of to nail it down almost to a great onboarding journey leading to higher attention because there's lots of other things that come in and change people's opinions and attitudes and whatever. Yeah, massive factors. And actually, since COVID, the BRC did some research on this. The turnover in retail is higher than any other sector. And there's a lot of work as well that well, we've been doing this at Anne Summers around personal safety in stores and retail abuse. And actually, Tesco came out with this. The CEO of Tesco the other week said that abuse against retail workers should be a criminal offence. And we've seen, and there's stats around this, that the increase in abuse towards retail staff has just got phenomenally worse since COVID. And we're doing a lot of work within Anne Summers to make sure that our teams know that's not acceptable. But also, it probably does link to those retention issues as well. So making sure our colleagues feel safe is really key. It shocks me that is not already illegal because it's, you know, it's illegal at a train station, isn't it? And it's illegal, yeah, and you the, know, in a hospital. And why should it not be illegal in a in There's a, a piece around obviously being abusive or, you know, using abusive language. Obviously, that's covered by the law, but specifically against retail workers and having right. that in the wording is really important for us. Okay, that's interesting. Mm. Cool. That, that, that's really great to see you guys leading the charge on that as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. What's working at the moment for you? What can you point to that has gone, you know, really well in the last year or two? Well, we started doing some learning experiments. So I'm a big fan of experimentation in learning, as long as it doesn't hinder or affect your business negatively. Why not? You know, we're in L&D. We should be experimenting. And earlier on this year, I worked with, so the learning platform that we use is a company called Thrive. So we implemented our learning platform about a year ago, actually, just over a year ago. And earlier on this year, we started doing some learning experiments. We worked in conjunction with Thrive. And this all stemmed from user-generated content. So on Thrive, we heavily encourage our staff to upload user-generated content to our learning platform. And one day I was scrolling through and saw um, a girl in our Glasgow, our girl store called Neve, had uploaded this amazing video of her just on the shop floor with some of our products. There was tights and suspenders and explaining the difference of our different hosiery types in store and how to sell them to different customers. I was watching this video and I was like, this is bloody brilliant. This is, you know, she's the expert. She's in store selling this stuff. And it was four minutes long. And I was like, right, that's it. So I was on the phone to Neve saying, Neve, we need this. We need to do something with this. This is amazing. So we ended up doing a learning experiment specifically around hosiery sales because our staff, are, one of their KPIs is around, can they sell a pack of hosiery with an underwear set? Okay. Yeah. Upsell, if you like. Ups yeah. Exactly. It's an upsell. Yeah, yeah. You know, do you want to also get this pair of tights? And we decided to do an experiment where our stores are split into regions. So in Neve's region... We got her to do a live webinar where they could sign up through our learning platform and Neve would speak for kind of 15 minutes around her top tips on how to sell hosiery. For the other three regions, they got product training cards and also a static video that they could watch. Now, across all the regions, we made more money, but specifically in Neve's region, we made significantly more. So really we were able to see the impact of having that live webinar and that opportunity to ask questions 
digitally. It was 15 minutes. And we did offered lots of different dates to make sure that for our retail workers, there was, you know, one in the morning, one at lunchtime, one in the afternoon, one in the evening, so they could chop and change based on their shifts. And we actually put together a proposal for learning technologies. And we've been shortlisted for using learning data to, you know, impact business performance. So yeah, very exciting times. Congratulations on the shortlist. That's amazing news. And yeah, I, I love experiments like that. This podcast is brought to you by AssembleU, the audio learning experts. Adam here, co-founder of AssembleU. We launched AssembleU in 2022 after finding we were doing a lot of our own personal development using podcasts and audiobooks. We loved audio as a format and wanted to combine the convenience of listening to something with outcome-driven learning that had a real impact. The result is a power skills library of more than 130 succinct audio lessons that do the heavy lifting for the listener. AssembleU lessons help coach listeners through critical topics like leadership, mental health, well-being, productivity, growth, sustainability, and communication. Each AssembleU audio lesson is around 10 minutes long and backed by research and real-life expertise. Every lesson includes a key point infographic, a further reading list, and testing. Listen to some free samples or find out more about how AssembleU can support your organization to build an internal podcast for learning by visiting assembleu.com. Uh, do you have an inkling as to why the kind of the Neve version did particularly well? Do you think it was just the questions or was it the fact that it was Neve and she's very, you know, I don't know, a very good teacher, very good trainer, any kind of qualitative inkling as to why that, yeah. that kind of helped performance so i'm a big fan of data afterwards i asked the people who went on the webinar what they thought of it and neve herself and another staff member from our plymouth store called Haley asked her for feedback and got some really detailed feedback about what worked and what didn't so that we then knew if we were going to roll this out to all of our regions what we might need to do differently and it was the opportunity to ask questions and have an open forum, that part of it worked best instead of just the tell piece. It was the, tell us what you want to know, and here's our tips. That worked the best when we were doing the webinars, so we got that kind of data from it. Cool, fascinating. So yeah, the kind of the back and forth, the the social element, really. So instead of pushing down, drawing people in, and creating a forum for a conversation. We're in L&D, right? We know that social learning works best, peer-to-peer learning where you're having conversations. It does. Mm-hmm. It does. Yeah. Yeah. As you know, and if you can leverage technology, like it sounds like you're doing to scale that peer, peer-to-peer experience across mm-hmm. what is, I guess, quite a, like a lot of small silos. If you think of all those 84 stores, a lot of those people may not have experience talking to people in other and summer stores across the country. And so- exactly it's very isolating unless you deliberately go out there and help make those connections. And I think using a digital platform is a really smart way of doing that. And on our digital platform, the good thing is when someone uploads some UGC or some content, you can see underneath when someone from another store is tagging their teams in it. So for example, someone will upload a little, like a training product card and you'll see underneath someone from Nottingham store be like, Oh, at Daisy, for example, look at this, isn't this great? And they'll all start commenting and they're learning from one another. And that's what we want. 
Yeah. And I guess there's an opportunity there for them to ask questions or to add their opinions as well. And that, I guess, will strengthen the kind of the training in many ways. And what we've noticed as well is, and actually this happened organically, I didn't even force this to happen, which L&D should never really do. There's a question function on Thrive. And it was one of our head office colleagues from buying and merchandising asked a question about a specific nightwear set and said, we'd love to know your opinion on the Cherry Anne chemise in stores. Like, what's your opinion? And I didn't tell her to do this. She'd obviously just wanted to see what feedback she got. And all our retail colleagues were commenting underneath, like, yeah, the red's selling really well in our store, but not the black version. And this, and they were just all then chatting about this product. And my colleague from buying a merchandising said, this has been invaluable, getting this information from our retail colleagues within 24 hours. It's the speed, isn't it, I guess? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, how would how are they getting that information before? Were they maybe going into stores and talking to people one-on-one, that type Email, of thing. Emailing store Emails. managers, but then you only yeah. get one version of it, whereas everyone's got access to our learning platform, including our colleagues who are, you know, our sales yeah. colleagues on the front line. Who are the ones actually talking to the customers and, exactly. and getting the instant opinion of, yes, I like that color. I don't like that color. I don't like the way this fits. I like the way this yeah. fits, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. So, so speed then. So sort of in terms of, so we're not just breaking down the the silos between different departments in the business, but we're also then enabling this very important feedback loop from customer to product design to happen in almost real time, you know, in 24 hours, a big list of feedback. Brilliant. And you've got to love it when stuff happens with, without learning and development. I spoke to someone last week and they said something which kind of made me laugh a bit. It's like the in their first learning and development job, they found out that some other departments had gone and bought their own training and were doing some like classes and upskilling on stuff and he's like i was really offended like mortally offended that should be coming through me i should be paying for that it's my and he's like and he said in his second role he took a step back and was just like i'm really happy and i'm really proud that these people are going out and getting their own learning and i'm going to go and learn from that and you know help make the connections further and i'm not going to be offended by it at all. And i was like yes that's the i was like that's it but it's funny your human reaction is like but that, that, that happened without me <laughs> I, honestly and probably you get a bit of imposter syndrome don't yeah. you yeah that's it <laughs> you're like hang on a minute But what you need to ask yourself then, the question is, why have they done it? To a certain extent, what are you not doing to understand their learning needs? And it doesn't matter if it does come organically from them. That's absolutely fine. But you just need to, this is one of the points I wanted to make, that L&D should never operate in a silo. We so often will feed things out because we think it's the right thing that people should do. But if we're not liaising with and building relationships with people around the business and understanding what they actually need and linking it to business strategy, then you're just operating this happy L&D bubble like, hey, I think you should do this learning and this learning. But actually, what's the bloody point if it's not linked to strategy and you're not actually speaking to people and understanding what they need? Yes, amen to that. We'll be mm-hmm. using that clip in the promotion for this. this <laughs> Brilliant. So anything else that's working in particular that you wanted to that you want to touch on? Those are a couple of really good examples, by the way. So no, no pressure if not. Yeah, I mean, the thing is 70% of our frontline retail colleagues are between the ages of 18 and 24. Super wow. young workforce. Okay. Super, super young, young workforce who are i mean i say that i'm not in that age bracket but i flipping love tiktok and so i get the need for short sharp learning and that's what we do we do short sharp learning however people say oh you know your learning has to be under x amount of minutes to keep people engaged and people have got the attention spans of goldfishes that's not true if the learning's engaging and point proven last week 
when we launched a brand new, I'm going to say it, sex toy range. Woo! And food, I'm just saying this on a podcast, it's fine, it's what we sell. And we did this amazing product training video with our senior buyer, who was the one who basically was, you know, created this new range, along with a girl called Jamie from our Colchester store. And her role is sex toy specialist. So she came in and they did a Q&A around the products and they talked about them. And the video was 16 minutes long, which is quite quite chunky for a product training video. For a product video. Yeah, yeah. It's fairly, exactly. That's but really long. There was lots of information that needed to be put across because in the world of sex toys, there's lots of stuff that goes on behind them, mechanics behind it. And it's fascinating. And so this video was pretty chunky and I was like but when I was looking at it I was like I can't cut anything out this is fantastic I was so engaged the whole way through and I uploaded it and when I was looking at the activity and the data behind it people were watching it for the whole 16 minutes no one was cutting off early and the comments were like this is informative this is brilliant someone commented I sold one today using the information from this video brilliant I was like well job done then pals yeah great (laughs) I can go to bed happy, but, and we actually saw a sales increase in that product range, which was amazing. Great. When it works. That's it, isn't it? It's yeah, it's quality over quantity, but even if it is, I mean, and 16 minutes, I wouldn't say 16 minutes is long for, you know, I've definitely been on courses that are like super, super long with probably quite dry subject matter, but yeah, I guess 16 minutes for a single product is, mm-hmm. yeah, is fairly in depth, isn't it? And so when it's quite tell, because there's. There probably isn't as much option for interaction. Yeah. But we do obviously have the comment section underneath the videos where we're putting their ideas into it. So, yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Cool. Is that going to be the model going forward? Are you thinking of adopting slightly longer? Yeah. Well, we've got one that's about to land tomorrow for our, dare I say it, Christmas gifting range. Oh, wow. I know. And that's 15 minutes long. But again, the information is fantastic. So I think, yeah, if people are... just keeping an eye on the activity behind it and monitoring how long people are engaging with it for. And then again, monitoring the sales off the back of it to see whether it's working or not. Great. And they are, they're professionally put together with the marketing team, quite high production value, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, they are. And that again has kind of happened organically between building up really effective relationships with our buying and merchandising team and our marketing team. And we've got into this amazing rhythm now of creating these very high quality videos that actually in terms of timing, yes, it's hours spent, but the return on investment that we get back from them is phenomenal and we can measure it and track it. Do you use them externally as well? Do you kind of sweat that learning asset as a, like, do you use them in marketing also, or is it just strictly internal kind of? Strictly internal. And we, there was a point when we were doing external kind of training videos, but we weren't getting much traction on places like YouTube around it. And we found that actually it was working much better internally because a lot of the time customers will come into our stores um, for advice to come and speak yeah. to our colleagues about things because they're the experts. That's where we found it worked best. That's interesting. Yeah. They're, yeah, I guess they're coming into yeah, to those questions. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Okay. So we've talked about what's working. That's great. Let's talk a bit about some of the barriers to engaging these groups. You know, you've got all these people across the country. What have you come up across that, you know, are challenges that you've had to find ways around? time to learn <laughs> everyone's favorite <laughs> when, when you are in a fast-paced retail environment telling them that they have to make or not have to but they should make time for learning and helping them to understand the why behind it like why should I make time for this because I'm so busy and surely you'd want me you know 
out there selling products in store, but actually helping them to understand that if they do the learning, it will help them to achieve X, Y, Z has been really powerful. And actually we managed to get our like, regional business managers on side for this. And luckily they're massive advocates for learning as well. And we've managed to slot in time to learn into our payroll budget for each of our stores. So, I mean, it's tiny, but they've got that time to learn where our teams can actually have dedicated hours. So that's as simple as they get paid for an extra half an hour or an extra hour to complete some training. And the expectation is they're in store doing the training or not in store. Or how how does that work? Well, yeah. And, you know, we had rightly so some fair feedback and challenge from some of our colleagues saying, oh, I think my store manager expects me to do this in my own time. And I was like, absolutely not. Video in your spare time. We're not stopping you from doing that. You can access it whenever you want, but that should not be the expectation because there's, you know, there's legal ramifications around that as well. But we want our colleagues to be learning on the job and we want it to be at that point of need, which is why we also installed our learning platform on their tills. Oh, I was so going to ask about this, that. Yeah, okay. so cool. this has worked quite cleverly. We've installed it on their tills. So if there's a quiet five minutes, they can pop open Thrive and they can do a bit of product learning in the moment or read some business comms because we have our comms through it as well. But equally, they've got an app, so they can use it on their phones. 90% of our retail colleagues use the mobile app. I know, massive, absolutely massive, compared to our head office colleagues where it's like completely flipped the other way around. 90% use desktop. So, yeah. So in terms of the point of sale, is that just, a, is it like a, an iPad or is it like a, a screen where you've just made, you can access the internet through it? Is that how it works? Yeah, so it's a till screen. So on their till yeah. screen, they've got obviously the ability to make sales. But you can also, our IT department have installed it as an app. So they can... as an app. Oh, that's very smart. Actually, that's a real top tip, I think, for yeah. like any retailers listening to this. Put it on your point of sale because that's a screen in every store, isn't it, for a lot of businesses? It is indeed, yeah. I mean, our store managers have got a back-of-house computer. So for kind of the management team, they can access things like their dashboard to see who's done learning and who hasn't and see all the business comms and things like that. But you know, for our frontline workers, making it as accessible as possible was really key. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, I'm going to continue to ask about that, actually, because here's our next question. I did want to ask about some more barriers as well, but we'll go back to that. In terms of that tech, you said 90% of people of your uh, frontline staff are using the app. How did that go down? Was it a was it like an open conversation to ask them if they're comfortable doing it? What was the... Because I know that having talked to a lot of business with frontline workforces, getting people to bring their own device or use their own device is sometimes a bit of a controversial one. How did you how did you get around that? Yeah, so there was GDPR, obviously, implications around using their personal data because in order to for them to log in and have access to the site, they don't have company email addresses. Yes. So we had to problem. use their personal email addresses, but we went out to all of them and asked them if they were comfortable with us doing that. And we had no rejections. Oh, wow. We did have two in-house from our logistics team who said no, which was fine. So they don't have access to it. But their managers then found has found different ways to communicate with them. But our retail colleagues, no one rejected it. They all said, yes, they were happy to have their details used for it. I guess if your workforce is pretty much all 18 to <laughs> 24, then they're just so used to doing absolutely everything on their phones anyway. You're pushing on a more open door there versus maybe yeah. if you have an older workforce. I don't know. I'm, yeah, I'm absolutely. We made it explicit what data we were using from them, which was just their 
email address, obviously their first and their last name, and then like their job title and what store they worked in. We used yeah. no other data. So it was just a case of it was for work purposes for them to understand the business better and it would benefit them. Brilliant. And like you say, 90% of them using the app, that's that's enormous. Do you keep stats on how often they're logging in and do you know you're modern, you're monitoring all that? And, and is that kind yeah. of stuff going in the right direction? Obviously, I won't ask you to share actual numbers, but you know, is yeah. it meeting so, expectations? Again, I have an amazing group of retail managers within Ann Summers and who are all really passionate about learning to the point that they were the ones who suggested that our store teams should be KPI'd against login rates. <laughs> so, wow, really? Okay. So I was like, if you're sure, so they are. And it's not much, the engagement, you know, you have to, one of your team, each one of your team has to log in at least once a month, which is not very much at all. But most stores are at 100%. Wow, that's very cool. Very, very mm. cool. That's really that's really encouraging actually to hear of such a, you know, given how difficult it is to get people in a retail environment to do digital training that you're seeing those kind of results already. That's yeah, that's really cool. And part of that and you know, this going back to pitfalls actually is that we need to make sure that we're constantly getting feedback from our teams about what they like and what they don't like so actually last week we went out with a survey to all our colleagues head office logistics retail to ask them how are they learning so do they enjoy the site do they use mobile more what do they use it for what would they like to see more of what would they like to see less of do they find it difficult to use easy to use any suggestions for how we can make it better would they like to attend a live webinar where they can give their feedback face to face as well so that was a tick box option at the end so that we could actually, they could feed it back to us in person as well. And that went out on Friday. So we're just gathering the data now to hopefully get some really great feedback from our teams. Now it's been a year since we launched. What we can do to improve their learning experiences even more. Yeah. What's the next, what's the next level up for you guys? Exactly. Yeah, we all, brilliant. That's fantastic. So yeah, we talked about technology and providing devices and all that. I, that that's, I really like that point of sale. <laughs> idea that's spot on you should be uh shouting about that from the rooftops i feel like that's really a real good <laughs> no, one cool. what's your mix of mandatory versus optional training it sounds like it is the product training mandatory so in terms of mandatory learning all of our health and safety content is mandatory things like fire safety uh, gdpr training and they have to do that within their first few days in the business in order to make sure they're safe and doing their jobs properly. But things like product training, we don't necessarily make it mandatory. However, we did a trial of making our orgasm training, which was our sex toy range that we did last week. We did that as mandatory learning to see what the uptake was. And it was pretty good. The uptake was pretty good. We're not beating them down with a stick if they don't do it, but we wanted to trial it to see whether making product training mandatory worked for our teams. Yeah. And obviously we've seen higher views because they all get a notification saying you've had training assigned to you and they'll get it kind of via email because it's linked to the notification and their managers should then give them time to watch it during their working hours. And yeah, we obviously saw greater uptake in watching the video, enjoying it and then higher sales. Cool. That's really interesting. Yeah. It's tricky because product is obviously such an important part of the business. People need to be upskilled on it, but on the flip side, I guess if you've got, you know, you've got a lot of products in your store. So forcing everyone through every single piece of product training. It's not feasible. 
it's not feasible. It's just not practical. So yeah, I think maybe it's the mix that you're doing at the moment, experimenting and maybe putting some of the high or the new exciting items in as mandatory. Yeah, it, we, we call it a gold go. launch. So if it's like a gold-plated launch. Oh, that, cool. Yeah, yeah. You've big, got different categories, yeah. Yeah, and we were like, right, this is a gold launch. Let's do it. Brilliant. Oh, that's really interesting. And it, from what you were saying earlier, the feedback on that video was really good Phenomenal. anyway. So I loved it. If you make something mandatory, I, I think everyone shares this experience with compliance training. You know, I have to do it. I get through it. You know, I have to do it every year. It's one of those things. And, you know, it, it's tough to make it stuff to make it great and interesting and fresh every year for people. But when you've got a fascinating new product that is really exciting and you make that mandatory, there's a good chance that you, like you say, people are going to really enjoy that, be passionate about it, write about it and and share views and thoughts. So you're actually just, you're like accelerating if you like the excitement of it by making it mandatory. Yeah. It's almost within the compliance training, which we try to make as engaging as possible, but it's probably not going to be excited, as exciting as learning about a brand new sex toy that you're launching. Exactly. So There's putting only so those little nuggets do, yeah. in within, within <laughs> all the compliance training definitely makes it all more exciting. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Cool. We're coming up to the end of our time. So I have one more question for you. And thank you mm-hmm. so much for everything you shared, by the way. It's been really interesting, insightful, and there's some great practical tips I think anyone can take from this interview. What's your number one or your top tip for anyone going into learning and development who has a deskless workforce or a big frontline workforce? Yeah. And I I have briefly already linked to this earlier, but my top tip is don't work in silo in L&D, especially with a deskless workforce. You need to be in your, whether it's retail stores or if you work in hospitality or leisure, you need to be on the front line understanding what your colleagues need and what they want and what are the challenges they're facing every day. You know, I remember working in our Oxford Street store last Black Friday and yeah, I was like, well, if there's any one day that I'm going to work in a store, it should be Black Friday. And being in there and seeing the challenges that they face and understanding their learning needs physically face to face was critical. And I would absolutely encourage L&D teams to, to be doing that more. You need to be there with your workforce and understanding their needs. And also then, as well as understanding your deskless frontline colleagues' needs, linking that to the wider business strategy, what is the business trying to achieve and working with your senior stakeholders in order to almost merge that gap and make sure that your frontline colleagues get what they need as well as the business strategy being achieved, which links to building relationships with all colleagues, all departments across the building and across your business who champion learning because getting that network of colleagues who understand what you're talking about will then help them champion learning across the business they then do your job not do your job for you but they then amplify the work that you're doing don't they 100%. by allowing it the time and the attention that mm-hmm. it absolutely needs yeah giving weight to lnd yeah i love that so don't work in a silo and make sure you build that network fantastic yeah. tips really like that becky thank you so much we have really appreciated your time and some brilliant things in there that i hope everybody will really enjoy Fab. Thank you for having me. Thank you, everyone. We'll be back soon with another episode from the Learning and Development Challenges Series 2. We hope you enjoyed this.
This podcast is brought to you by AssembleU, the audio learning experts. Adam here, co-founder of AssembleU. We launched AssembleU in 2022 after finding we were doing a lot of our own personal development using podcasts and audiobooks. We loved audio as a format and wanted to combine the convenience of listening to something with outcome-driven learning that had a real impact. The result is a power skills library of more than 130 succinct audio lessons that do the heavy lifting for the listener. AssembleU lessons help coach listeners through critical topics like leadership, mental health, well-being, productivity, growth, sustainability, and communication. Each AssembleU audio lesson is around 10 minutes long and backed by research and real-life expertise. Every lesson includes a key point infographic, a further reading list, and testing. Listen to some free samples or find out more about how AssembleU can support your organization to build an internal podcast for learning by visiting assembleu.com.